This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, dear listeners, welcome to episode number four of the Tupperware Party, Film Geek Radio's weekly podcast devoted to discussion and analysis of the HBO TV series The Leftovers. I'm your host, Andrew Johnson, and I'm here with my regular co-host, Charlie Nash. How are you doing, Charlie? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing okay. What are you eating in Leftovers this week? You know, it's been kind of a... I've had a lot of sour eggnog, occasionally a fruit pie or two. It's been a pretty lousy uh, Christmas here in... uh, here in this town, Andrew. Okay, well, I've, uh, I'm eating the baby Jesus. Andrew. <laughs> Tastes a little like plastic. <laughs> <laughs> I would th- well, I'm glad that it's not the real baby Jesus, but <laughs> I'm sure you can find something more edible than that. Oh, uh, as always, you can email the Tupperware Party at leftovers at filmgeekradio.com, and you can access all of our episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes or Stitcher. If you like the show, please leave us a review. That would really help us out a lot. And if you leave us a good review, we'll make you an honorary member of the show. We also have a voicemail line at 336-793-2509, so you can call and leave us some feedback there. Again, that's 336-793-2509. Apologies for the delay on uh, getting last week's episode out to you, everybody. Uh, Charlie, you've been super busy, and I just moved into a new apartment and adopted a dog. So we've both just been uh, kind of too busy to edit, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, we got that episode out, and now uh, hopefully this episode will be out uh, within the next uh, couple days after recording. So we're going to try and get on a better schedule. Yes. Anyways, let's dive into things, Charlie. Today we're going to be discussing episode four of season one of The Leftovers. The episode is titled BJ and the AC. It was written by Damon Lindelof and Elizabeth Peterson, and was directed by Leslie Linka-Gladder and Carl Franklin. I feel like we've taught, we've, we've, these names keep popping up for us, Charlie. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder why that is. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, between uh, Dexter and Homeland and now uh, The Leftovers, it seems like they're getting a lot of work. So that's good. Definitely. But uh, Charlie, why don't you go ahead and remind our listeners what happened this episode? This is the official synopsis from HBOGo.com. A holiday display goes wanting, sending Kevin scurrying to find out who is responsible. Tom and Christine run into trouble at a hospital and on the road. Kevin retrieves a surprise detainee from a neighboring police station and receives some unexpected visitors at home. The guilty remnant puts their stamp on the holiday season. All right, and uh, as always, we will be discussing spoilers for this episode of The Leftovers. So if you haven't seen PJ and the AC, you might want to go away, watch that episode of the show, and then come back. Charlie, what did you think of this episode of The Leftovers? Well, last week you said that you felt like you had whiplash because you didn't like uh, episode two, but you really loved episode three. I didn't mind episode two, but I have to say now I feel like I have whiplash because I loved episode three, as you did. But I really dislike this episode, Andrew. Um, I don't think that it's the uh, it's not the ideas that I didn't like. I think the ideas are interesting. I just think that it's handled in such a clunky, heavy-handed fashion. It's also extremely 
extremely unpleasant. I mean, the show has been bleak, but this was just like the worst uh, Christmas I've seen anyone have since, uh, I don't know, Batman Returns or something. <laughs> and even Batman Returns was campier. But I just felt that the writing was so bland and I felt like every single metaphor or use of symbolism was so on the nose. And it had a, a another uh, reason I think it was so uh, handled handled so poorly is that I felt like a lot of the characters were saying their thoughts out loud and occasionally breaking the fourth wall to say, hey, viewers, uh, just in case you can't understand what we're trying to say, here's a character saying it, which is absurd because most of the metaphors in this episode are so blunt and so uh, they're handled in such a fairly preachy and kind of condescending manner. I just found it very unpleasant. Well, can you give me an example of characters saying what they're thinking or, or metaphors or symbols that didn't really work for you? Well, you know, first of all, she receives a lighter that says, don't forget me. <laughs> and uh, second of all, this is an instance where I actually didn't know what was going on. And it just made me mad because a character screamed out something that I didn't, maybe this is just me not paying attention and being a bad viewer, but there's a beautiful image uh, with Christine and Tom where they find all these dead bodies in the middle of the road and they're all covered in white sheet wrap. And it's a haunting image. And then Christine yells out, Hey, Tom! They're all in white! It's just like the dream! First of all, I thought, okay, that's a character breaking the fourth wall for the audience to say, hey, in case you forgot, and also, I don't know what she's talking about. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just being a bad uh, reviewer right now and just forgot what was going on, but I don't know what dream she was talking about. I don't know whose dream she's mentioned. She was talking about the uh, the crazy guy that attacked her. He was rambling on and on about the dream he had and all the people in white that he saw in his Okay, because I'm sorry, and I know this is just me being... Okay, now, you know what, you're right. I was so weirded out by that scene. I was just like, who is this guy, and why isn't he wearing pants, and the nudity was weird, and it just felt really ugly i don't know the nudity was really distracting to me in that scene that i just kind of burst out laughing like what's happening why it was like one one shot i know but it was just it came out of nowhere andrew and i was just like it Come was on, just Charlie. so absurd and so i don't know it was just too weird for me not like i'm i have no problem with nudity there's a scene in one of my favorite films robert altman shortcuts where Julianne Moore gives a monologue where she's not wearing any panties and full frontal nudity is on display, but that served a much uh, bigger purpose for an argument that she was having with her husband and the lack of uh, sexuality between them and the horrible tension that's going on between them. Here, it just felt like, hey, what if we have a crazy guy uh, attack Christine? And on top of that, he won't be wearing any pants. Are you, are you telling me that you prefer female full frontal to male full frontal? Uh, Andrew, I'm gay. I think you know the answer <laughs> to that question. <laughs> In fact, I'm actually more open to male nudity, not just because of my sexuality, but because male nudity is actually more frowned upon than female nudity. I mean, you know, I can think of a bunch of movies, uh, Interview with the Vampire as full frontal nu female nudity, but I bet you, you know, uh, Holly Hollywood is so afraid of the male body that, you know, if they, if there's, a, you know, a penis in any frame, it'll get an NC-17. Michael Fassbender goes to the bathroom and is full frontal in shame, and despite the fact that there's no nudity when he's having sex, and it is a movie about a sex addict, they're like, oh, slap an NC-17 on that, that's Michael Fassbender's penis on screen. Like, it just, I don't know. Didn't work for me, Andrew. It felt like shock value. Well, that's exactly why I 
didn't mind the nudity in this episode. I was like, okay, all right, HBO, go ahead, give yeah, show a little uh, male full frontal. Maybe that'll start to make up for all of the uh, female nudity you show on Game of Thrones and all those other. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I was I was fine with that. It was distracting to me though. It didn't feel like it had a purpose. You know what I mean? Like if he delivered that monologue fully clothed, then I would have paid attention. But I have to be honest, it just took me out of the scene. And I I'm glad that they got away with it. Sure, but it didn't feel like it was necessary to the scene. Why did there ha- why did he have to have pants off, Andrew? Because he's crazy, Charlie, and why not? Well, I would have gotten that if he was fully clothed and babbling about that stuff too, much like how a lot of people are crazy in this show. So, but uh nudity aside, what did you think of it? I agree with you. I wasn't a huge fan of this episode. I, I just came away and I was like, "Uh, that was okay." I guess. Again, the thing about this show, Charlie, is that I still feel like it doesn't have a direction. Exactly. We're four episodes in, and I'm just trying to figure out where are we going. Exactly. What's the end game here? What's your overall purpose? And uh, I'm not sure. I I mean, again, I liked last week's episode because it was just about one guy, and we just got to see his little small human trials that he was going through. And I think that that is when the show is at its best, honestly, when it's just like a regular drama about people trying to accomplish little small goals or dealing with personal obstacles in their lives. To me, the best scene in this episode was this scene when uh, Lori confronts her husband, Kevin, and asks for a divorce without actually asking. That, to me, was the best scene in the episode just because it was, oh, here's an actual moment of human conflict, of relationship drama that's completely unrelated to, like, these silly metaphors or these uh, these big old ideas and, 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 and themes. It's just a nice moment of conflict between two characters, and I thought that went well. And uh, I agree with you, Charlie. Some of the stuff in this episode was a little bit on the nose. I don't mind a little bit of heavy-handedness. I actually thought that the uh, the thing with the lighter that says, don't forget me, I thought that was fine. I thought that that was really uh, poignant, especially when you consider that, you know, she gets this lighter... And then a few hours later, she's going and removing all the pictures of loved ones in people's houses because they, I guess, the idea is that they will forget. They're supposed to forget their family, and there's that whole idea of, well, maybe there is no family and all that. So I I didn't mind that little bit of heavy-handedness. My biggest problem was just, again, I didn't see what the overall point was for most of this. And you got everything with Tommy going through some sort of a spiritual crisis of some sort. But again, we he hasn't been developed enough and we don't know enough about him to really care. Exactly. Uh, everything with the baby Jesus and the teenagers I thought was really dumb. Again, we don't know enough about Jill to care about her, to care no. about what, she, what she's going through. And you're, you're right, Charlie. The past few weeks you've been saying, oh, she's just acting like an annoying teenager and too angsty. I was willing to go with that until this week where I just Me felt, too. I was just like, come on, this is... What, you're going to take the baby Jesus, why? Just to piss off your dad? Just to give him more to do? Just for fun? I mean, again, what's yeah. the motivation here? We don't we don't know anything about her character and why she's doing the things that she's doing. It was just, uh, I just feel like structurally, this show hasn't taken the time to let us get to know these characters before having them do things. And as a result, it just, I, I feel really unconnected. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Um, going back to the scene with the confrontation between Kevin and uh, Lori, I liked that idea. Maybe I'm just getting cynical now, but I didn't even think the writing was that good. I thought that it was a really interesting idea that was written very blandly. It, it's like, it felt like one of those moments where, oh, if we say fuck a lot, that clearly shows that he's angry. Like, him just yelling, just fucking say it, just fucking say it. I understand he's lashing out, but why did it have to be this big temper tantrum? I was okay with that. I could buy that because maybe it's just me. There's nothing I hate more in relationships, Charlie, than when someone isn't being open or isn't being honest and isn't, like, just revealing, you know, what's really on their mind. So the idea that someone you love could come to you and basically say, I want to end our relationship but not even be willing to talk about it or for whatever reason, whether it's uh, because she belongs to this cult or just because she doesn't want to, I could understand why that would just really piss him off. Did you want a coffee? No, thank you. What's that? Kevin, I can't say this to you, but I won't just slip it under the door and run away. You deserve to look at me when it is said. I understand why it pisses him off, but I just felt like the writing wasn't that good, and I felt like it took the cheap, obvious way of, oh, we'll have him explode into a rage and have a temper tantrum. I'm not saying that there couldn't be some shouting, but that's all that it was for me, was just a bunch of shouting. And even Liv Tyler's character was annoying, because she gets told to stop reading multiple times and she's not even respecting his wishes. You know, I understand that she's there for Lori, but, you know, when someone tells you to stop talking, you stop talking. And she gets told, like, four times. That's the only time I thought when he yelled it in that scene that it made sense. Because I'm like, Liv Tyler, like, you're just being kind of a jerk right now. <laughs> like, I understand what you're doing. But, you know, stop because he's not listening. And uh, don't you want him to listen if you care about Lori so much? And also the incident with Lori and the lighter, I agree. I like the scene where she goes to, she when she just drops the lighter in the sewer, I thought, wow, that is cold. And I didn't expect her to do that right away. And I also like the scene of her digging back into the sewer to try and get it. But why did it have to be a lighter that says, don't forget me? Maybe I'm just being nitpicky, but why couldn't it have been something, I don't know, a locket with their picture in it or something? It, like, literally has the words, don't forget me on it. It's like, you know, like, it couldn't be anything else of sentimental value. It couldn't be, uh, you know. I agree with you. The stuff with Tommy and Christine, I don't care. They're acting like crazy people now because they're taking their shoes off and they're putting targets on their heads, which is also a really heavy-handed metaphor because they're being targeted. I get it, HBO. And I don't understand anything that's going on with them. Every scene with them drove me nuts this week. Another instance of when the characters are like, if I have a thought, I will say it out loud, is when Tom is at the bus station and he's literally giving this inner monologue out loud. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, show don't tell, Damon Lindelof and... uh Whoever the other screenwriter was, I'm sorry, I've forgotten her name. Uh, Elizabeth Peterson. Yeah, show don't tell, screenwriters. We can sense emotions based on performance. We don't have to have the writing explain it to our faces in a very heavy-handed manner. Yeah, and uh, real, real quick, Charlie, getting back to what you said about uh, Liv Tyler, I yeah. agree. I was kind of confused, like, why is she here? 
You know, like, what is, like, okay, what, I get it that she's friends with Lori, but is she, like, an apprentice or a protege? You know, why is she helping everybody else take down the pictures and stuff at the end? Is she basically part of the cult now, but she's still not allowed to wear white? That is a good point. Whatever. Yeah. She, she's in her her green coat or whatever, and I'm like, it's, so, okay, so what's the difference between the, the people in white and the people not in, right, in white? What, what makes her still not part of the group in that sense yeah so they haven't really explained that and also get just uh what you were talking about with the uh, christine i just want to say charlie i called it she's pregnant with the the baby jesus yeah with wayne's child who tom also has to say out loud you are pregnant with wayne's child like yes <laughs> the show is like trying to give us mysteries to solve and whatnot and, you know, but then it's also like, oh, by the way, this is happening. Like, it's so about mystery, and yet it's so, it's delivering messages to us in such heavy-handed fashion. Even the targets that they're putting on their heads, they have to say it out loud. Because, you know, I'm assuming they know what they're doing and why they do certain things, but they have to explain why they take their shoes off. They have to explain why they put targets on their backs, uh, on their heads. They have to explain what the dead bodies are. They have to say what their inner monologues are at bus stops. It drove me nuts. I don't know who these people are. I don't care. They're acting like crazy people, and I don't know who they are enough for me to... Like, it's like they're going crazy, but we missed who they were as sane people beforehand, so it's just not interesting. Also, going back to Jill and her friends, you know, I'm a big fan of examinations of nihilism in teenage culture. Uh, Harmony Corinne's Spring Breakers was one of my favorite films of last year that dealt with horrible teenagers, but they acted like teenagers. And, you know, Larry Clark's kids and Larry Clark's film Bully, that's very underappreciated. All of those kids might be terrible people, but they at least act like teenagers. This scene with the baby Jesus, it just felt like a bunch of adults writing something thinking, this is how teenagers act, right? And it just didn't work for me at all. You know, are you telling me these kids have so much time on their hands that they go rob a baby Jesus, go out to a store to buy a Nerf gun, go out to get a piece of board they can put it on, go buy gasoline, and then give it this intense Viking funeral? Like, <laughs> Well, okay, well, here's the, here's the problem with everything with the baby Jesus, Charlie. They haven't explained why does this matter? Exactly. Why, why is the, the nativity scene so important? And why is stealing it such a big deal? And why is the fact that ultimately... She can't go through with lighting the baby Jesus on fire. So what? What does that represent? Why did? Why does that matter to her? Yeah. You know, why did she steal it to begin with? What is she trying to do? They never. Ex they never explain anything. Yeah. 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 So, I, so it doesn't. I, I was just like, well, why are you? Why are you doing this? Why? Okay. Oh wow, you made this decision not to set the baby Jesus on fire. So what? Yeah. You know, it, like even if you had, would it have mattered? I, I'm not sure. And, uh, we have no investment in the baby Jesus, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. which is a horrible thing to say, but, <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, like I didn't mind the way that they were written and how they acted in episode two, where they were like gossiping about people and they even broke into someone's car to steal hand lotion. Like, even though that was a little far fetched, but it reminded me of the way they were written in episode one, where they play that horribly cynical game where they burn each other and choke each other. And it's just so cynical and over the top. They don't feel like real teenagers to me. And I know that I brought up Spring Breakers, which is an over-the-top movie, but that's also a tonally a very darkly comedic fantasy, and those characters act the way they would in that certain situation. You know, they party a lot and get drunk, and that's all they do. I don't think that these kids, if they're in this partying so much, would go so as, as 
as far as to take all the time to get all that material and sing Silent Night while she's about to light a baby Jesus on fire as if, you know, it's like some Viking funeral. It just didn't work for me. And all of the teenagers are so unpleasant and cynical and caricatures that I just don't want to spend time with them. Even the, you know, the punk kid like, oh, I'm going to crap on the baby Jesus. Like, I know people like that. I knew people like that in high school, but I don't want to watch them on television. And they're so cynical that there there's no humanity in them that I just don't care. And even Jill's getting to be that point. Would I have cared if she didn't light the baby Jesus on fire, if they explained what it was supposed to represent? Yes. Did they do that? No. Uh, a couple other things I want to mention. So is Chief Garvey no longer going crazy and and seeing that guy? With, uh, he, he just is driving his truck now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, mental illness is spontaneous, Andrew, but you're right. As From a screenwriting perspective, it's just like, well, I guess what happened to that? I will tell you the one scene I did like with him, though, and it was the one scene at the town dance, which I don't think exists anymore, but maybe that's me being really cynical. I mean, I school dance is fine. Do town dances where adults just go to dance in the town hall, do those things happen anymore? That seems like something out of the 80s, or I don't know. I have no idea, but I think I know what scene you're going to talk about, and I like that scene as well. Yeah, where he encounters Nora, and yes. and he apologizes for the fact that she's lost her family, and she says, um, I learned that my husband cheated on me. And he says, I cheated on my wife. And she says, how come? And he says, is there ever a good answer to that question? And she just said, I, I think I just heard one. That was a really nice, poignant moment where it wasn't hitting you over the head with anything. It was just a moment between two characters and how they deal with relationships. And it was a, the most quiet moment of the episode. And it was... You know, it didn't really have to do with much of anything apart from character development. It didn't have anything to do with the plot in it, per se. But Nora is by far my favorite character right now because she's the only one who's acting like a human being, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. And uh, she has all of these nice, poignant moments, even in, like, episode two, that I think really elevate the show into uh, giving off hints that it could be something great. But instead, we get all this heavy-handed stuff. And also... Going back to Liv Tyler and the whole uh, picture-stealing thing, when I watched it, I was thinking, wow, that's really harsh, that's really brutal, and I can see what they're doing. But I also don't know, I, I don't know exactly why they're doing it. I get what they're trying to say, is that, to, you know, try and move on, but I guess. But also, we live in a digital age, Andrew, <laughs> and even pictures that were taken on film, like, 20 years ago, like, we scan them on computers now and upload them to hard drives and take them on our phones, and we have Instagram and stuff like that. Like, you know, all these baby pictures that my parents have of me and my sister are on our hard drives, so I think it's not that hard for them to just be like, well, good thing that I, you know, have them all on my hard drive. Guess I'll just print out some more and put them in the frames. <laughs> like, I so want that to be what happens next week, and then have the um, cult members be like, okay, everyone, we, uh, we fucked up. We need to go and wipe out their hard drives now. <laughs> and then... You know what? You know what, Charlie? <laughs> I think I figured it out. The 2% of the world that disappeared, it was all of the computer technicians and all the people that worked <laughs> at Facebook and Twitter. They all disappeared, so now... People have nowhere to turn when they uh, when they have computer problems and they're going to lose all their data. Uh, but also, like, not one of these people gets caught and they break into so many homes. Are we supposed to believe that everyone in this town goes to a town dance? Yes. Uh, yeah, apparently. It reminded me of that episode of The Simpsons where there's like a meeting at the school. I, for I think it's, um you know, the principal at the elementary school who says... 
Oh, thank you all so much for leaving the safety of your homes, for coming out tonight for this parent-teacher uh, conference. Hopefully you all locked your doors, and it cuts to the character of Snake going, Dude, this is too easy! And he's robbing all of the parents' houses because no, none of them locked their doors. It felt like that to me. It felt like a satire of, you know, like, oh, nobody locks their doors anymore. Or everyone leaves a key under the mat, or, you know, a window's open, and no one notices. Same with Jill and her friends. They're having a huge bonfire. There's, like... I don't know, at least 10 to 15 of these kids singing Silent Night and using gasoline and yelling obscenities and not a single police officer is, like, driving by or no neighbor has made a noise complaint. Apparently, Chief Garvey's the only cop in this show who actually does his job. And even some, and, and, and also, even the stuff that, with political racial stereotyping that they were trying to comment on, where the mayor says, yes, obviously get the white baby doll. Even that just rubbed me the wrong way because, oh, I get it. She's the black mayor and because she's a politician and has to, you know, she's even she even though she has the power to say maybe we should have a black baby Jesus. She's in a place where she's just like, no, obviously get the white one because that's what everyone thinks because we live in a white nation mostly, you know, like even that stuff wasn't handled that delicately to the point where I was like, that's an interesting idea. It was like a bunch of half baked ideas that were really on the nose, and yet they weren't fully explained. It's a really weird contradiction. Yeah. Uh, Last thing I want to say, Charlie, I am pretty sure that this might be the first episode, if they even say it, I I can't remember if they do or not, where they actually say the phrase guilty remnant, Yes. which is the the name of the cult. And uh, until now, they've only been referring to it as like the GR or the remnant. And in all the promotional materials and stuff, uh, it has the, you know, the words guilty remnant everywhere, all, all over the episode descriptions, even though they, I don't think they've actually said that until this episode. They did say it in this episode, right? I yeah, they did. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure they did. I think this was the first time. Yeah, I think so, too. They were the most interesting part of the show for me for a while, and I'm not even interested in them anymore. Also, like, what happened to the church that they bought in a priest shows up and I guess he's fine now because he has a spare baby Jesus like they're not even in their new church yet what's going on with that I guess this is the ensemble format that we're getting for most of the show and I guess once in a blue moon we might get a really great character piece now who are these people Andrew (laughs) who are they and why do we care and what direction is this show going in like you said we have a really great premise and yet I have no clear uh idea as to where this is headed what questions it's trying to solve and which questions it's trying to leave ambiguous, why we should have so much invested in these people who are, for the most part, cardboard caricatures with not that much depth. Subplots come in and out of nowhere. Is he crazy or is he not? That doesn't matter this week. Uh, The priest and the church, that doesn't matter this week. But it'll probably come back later. And, you know, of course, we'll probably be asking why didn't, you know, such and such that occurred in this week's episode get, you know, mentioned in the next week's episode, you know? So I'm just getting frustrated right now. I think what we're discovering, Charlie, is that The Leftovers really could be the most appropriate title for this show. <laughs> it's like this is this is where all the leftover ideas go. It's the, the, the stuff that's maybe a kind of fresh. But not really, and he doesn't quite have 
the flavor that we're used to and that we uh, would like to have. It's just the, the yeah, this is this is the leftovers of television right here. It's like it's like Damon Lindelof and all the writers are like digging through the trash of like other like studios, like screenwriters buildings or something. And they're like, oh, this is interesting. Oh, yes, this character seems very interesting. We'll put him in there. Um, and I guess why I'm so harsh this week is because I was getting a little frustrated during the second episode, but I was still intrigued. And then last week's episode was so good that it just spoiled me. And now it's gotten, it's not only gone back to the quality of the second episode, it's uh, worse than the quality of the second episode. I'd almost prefer a goofy bagel metaphor at this point, because this episode was just so despairing and bleak and not fun. It's not even uh, loopy in a, uh, I can't believe what's happening way. Cause even the, even the scene with the guy with no pants on, that wasn't like, it was funny, but it wasn't like fun to watch funny. It was just kind of a what's happening here. And it was very grim all the same. And, and didn't you feel like it makes a lot of sense that this was also written and directed by two people that it was all uh, collaborative work? Cause didn't it feel very clunky and very, uh, uh, discombobulated at times? Like we were kind of going from point A to point B without really any sense of connection. I don't know. Yeah, I did. I'm not sure how much of that is due to the uh, direction and how much of that is just due to the screenwriting. But yeah, it did feel all over the place. But uh, I don't have anything else to say about this episode. I agree with you. It's a, it was not a really great episode of television. I was disappointed uh, coming off of such a strong episode last week that this is what we got. But uh, we'll have to see, you know, there's still a chance it could get better. Of course. I mean, you know, last week's episode uh, proved that it can get very good, like astoundingly good. And that's why I'm so harsh is because this was astoundingly bad. So I don't know. It it could be the most bipolar season of television we'll see this year. I don't know. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Tupperware Party. Write in and let us know what you thought of this episode of The Leftovers. You can email us at leftovers at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail through the website or by dialing 336-793-2509. We would love to hear from you. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you like The Tupperware Party, please write us a review. That really helps us out a lot in terms of getting the word out about the show. And if you really like us and you'd like to financially support us, you can donate to the show by going to filmgeekradio.com and clicking the support tab and the donate button. That money really helps us out and goes towards helping us pay for hosting and bandwidth and covering all of the other costs that come with producing the show. You can also use our affiliates page to visit some of our partners, including Amazon. And anything you purchase from our affiliates, if you use our site to get there, we will get a small percentage of whatever you spend. So you can buy something for yourself and help us out at the same time. And as always, be sure to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinemafix. Charlie, where can people find you online? You can find the work that I've written for Edge Media on edgeonthenet.com, as well as the work that I've written for Movie Mezzanine on moviemezzanine.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at ctnash91. That's C-T-N-A-S-H 91. You can find my film criticism at moviemezzanine.com. I just published a review of The Purge Anarchy, so go read that. Uh, You can also find me co-hosting a few other podcasts at Film Geek Radio. And uh, this week I also made a guest appearance on the In Session Film Podcast, again to talk about the the Purge Anarchy and a few other things as well. So Yeah, I think that we couldn't be on more opposite spectrums when it comes to that film, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I really dislike that film, Andrew, but... 
I'll definitely have to read your review. <laughs> so yeah, go check out that uh, that podcast, the In Session Film Podcast, and listen to that episode. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Writer Andrew, and I hope you do so, so we can keep talking about The Leftovers. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode. We'll see you next time at the Tupperware Party. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!